Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 370. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 370 you're listening to. My guest today is Nikki McGinnis, songwriter, engineer, and producer. She talks to us from her new studio located on a farm in the English countryside. Nikki's had a very interesting career because she started out in the music and recording world, but then made a jump into the corporate world for a number of years. And now she's back with a new studio, Creation X Recording, located on the farm in the English countryside that I just mentioned. So we're going to talk all about that. Very excited to have her on. And I have to thank our mutual friend, former WCA guest, Sarah Carter, for recommending Nikki to be on the show. So Nikki McGinnis coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Grab your coffee cups, friends. Let's talk about capturing stories. It's been a bit of a rough week. I have to be honest with you. I have lost uh, three people in my circle. Uh, Bruce Anderson from the band MX80 Sound, he died of cancer. That was expected. I didn't know Bruce well, but I had recorded the band. I think it was in 2020. Maybe it was in early 21. I honestly don't remember. Uh, The record is yet to be mixed, but it will be mixed soon from what I understand. Uh, But I tracked the band and had a chance to spend some time with Bruce. And very sweet guy. Also, former WCA guest Mike Wells from episode 113. Great mastering engineer, great person. And if you have a chance, I encourage you to go back and listen to Mike's interview. And also my friend Rob Christensen. Rob is somebody that you probably have seen if you've gone to any trade shows and spent any time at the tape op booth. Rob was the joyous bald guy that you'd always see over there at the tape op booth, hanging out with Larry Crane watching the booth, answering questions, very uh, joyous person, very sweet person in general. So it's been a sad week in that department, and it's really got me thinking, especially with Mike's death. These interviews that I do serve many purposes, and I've always thought, you know, they entertain, they inform and educate, and uh, they give inspiration. And I know that they're important to many of you, and I appreciate that. But I think with Mike's death this week, it's it's really struck me extra hard in that these interviews also serve to preserve these people and preserve the memory of these people. As, As I was thinking about Mike in this particular case, I was thinking that interview was, I think, my last great conversation with Mike. It was deep. He shared a lot of important information. And although... I will never have the opportunity to speak with him again. I have that conversation to reflect back on, as as do all of you. It also makes me realize the importance of capturing the stories of those other audio professionals out there who I've yet to speak to, who may be older, who may be um, uh, compromised in, in their health in some way. It just, it, it gives me some a sense of urgency that I need to get out there and and talk to more people. I think the one thing, especially about my friend Rob, that I regret the most is, is I didn't know everything there was to know about Rob. I'm just now learning bits and pieces of information through talking with other people. So here's food for thought for you. If there's somebody in your life who you value, I don't care if it's an acquaintance, your best friend, your significant other, your spouse, whoever it is, Everybody's taken a journey. Everybody's got a story to tell. Find out as much as you can about the people that you really treasure. Find out what makes them tick, what inspires them, what mistakes they've made. All these things that you can learn about them are important because when they're gone, while it doesn't make it any easier to accept the loss, it makes it far easier to really appreciate them because we we know more information. We can understand the bigger picture of them and really enjoy the memory of them in a more complete fashion. All these questions that we ask after somebody has left us, 
These are the questions that maybe we should be asking before they leave us, right? Spend your time appreciating the people that are here with us now and finding out as much as we can about them. In short, it's important to stop, to listen, to ask questions, to uh, learn as much as we can about those people. Try to remember to appreciate those around you and what their journey is. I know a lot of us are very hyper-focused on our own thing and what we're doing, and I get that, but take the time to look around, look at the people that influence you, look at the people that inspire you, and find out more about them because there's much more to learn than you think. And when they're gone, I think you'll really value those memories about them. Capture their stories. Capture the essence of who they are in your mind or record it, whatever. Just find out more. That's my rant. Thanks for listening. Most of you already know about Grace Design and have known about them for years. Uh, they've been around since 1994. It was started by the two brothers, Michael and Eben Grace, who still run the company to this day. And you already know that they make incredible sounding products for us all. What you might not know if you don't know them is that Michael and Eben are two of the nicest people on the planet. Easily approachable, very knowledgeable. You might have met them at a trade show and experienced this. Without a doubt, it's one of my favorite companies out there in the world of pro audio. You might have heard me a few times talking about the Grace 908 Atmos controller. I think the most elegant solution, if you're going to be doing Atmos, that is the best solution out there, as far as I'm concerned, hands down. And prior to that, I was using the Stereo 905 controller for many years. Not only that, but most recently, I've used their 108 mic pre's to do the Room 219 combo jazz record that you might have heard me talk about. The point is, is that they check all the boxes for me. They're incredibly nice people. They make incredibly great products. They're located here in the United States in Lyons, Colorado, and employ a number of people. They're the epitome of a small business here in the U.S., and I just love that whole thing. So if you are in the market for mic preamps or instrument preamps or monitor controllers, this is the company to check out hands down. If you don't know about them, go to gracedesign.com, check them out. And if you're in the market for any of those products, you absolutely have to consider what they offer because what they offer is superior build quality and sound quality. And those of you who bought their products in the 90s that are still using them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So check them out, gracedesign.com. I know the business of audio is a frustrating one sometimes. The audio part's pretty, pretty fun, but it's the business of it and the career part of it that's a little challenging to many of us. I can completely empathize with that. And if you thought to yourself, God, I wish I could talk to somebody about this, you can do that. You could talk with me about it. As a matter of fact, you can book me for a coaching and consulting call over Zoom very simply. Just head on over to workingclassaudio.com. If you click on the menu button at the top of the menu, there is a link that says coaching and consulting with Matt. Super simple. Click on the link, book me in for an hour on a Zoom call, and we will discuss your particular situation, and I will help you get refocused, re-inspired, and figure out what is the best path forward for you. If your situation requires a little more extensive conversation, we can absolutely book a series of calls and, like I say, get you focused and get you moving forward. I've been there, and when you don't have anybody to talk to about it, it's a little frustrating. So head on over to workingclassaudio.com, click on the menu button, and book yourself in for a Zoom call with me. And we can sit down and chat, coffees in hand, ready to tackle the business of audio together. Let's get to it. Nikki McGinnis here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Nikki, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Matt. It's lovely to be here tonight. Although it's your morning, isn't it? 9.16 right now. Okay, so we're um, 5.16 here in um, Berkshire. And it's a glorious day for you because you got your internet, your broadband internet into oh. your studio. I can't tell you how long I've been waiting for it to be put in, but yeah, Cy came today and he fitted it for me. So I am pretty excited because it kind of opens up a lot of things for me now that I've actually got it in here. I was using a dongle and as you can probably imagine, they, they're they a bit hit and miss. Yeah, solid internet in any studio is absolutely critical these days, if you're interfacing with the outside world, that is. 
I know, it's a, it's a must. Well, so you're talking to us from where in England? So I'm in a place called Wokingham, which is in Berkshire. I guess you would say it's South England, South Middle, I would say, because you've you come down from London down to sort of Reading, Berkshire area, and then you go further down, you hit the coast. And you're talking to us from your studio, which is actually located on your property? It is. So I live on a farm. I'm very lucky. I live on a farm in Berkshire. It's a fruit farm. And I've been here for five years. My partner and her parents and her brother, they all live on the farm. It's a bit like the Waltons. I mean, some people might get that reference <laughs> this way. Some people, yeah. If you're above a certain age, you will... If you're old enough, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we've all got houses on the farm. And the actual farming element is now taken over by a farmer who has various farms around the country. So he rents the land and grows fruit on it. But we still have our businesses on the farm and we have a donkey, a pony, we've got chickens, we've got pygmy goats, and we love our animals. Plus we've got, well, Joe and I have got nine dogs, so we're clearly um, the noisiest neighbours. That's an interesting arrangement. So you have multiple family members living in their own houses. Is the studio a separate building as well? It is. So the studio is towards the back of our house, facing onto the paddocks where the animals are. So mm-hmm. obviously a soundproof room was really important so that I didn't have anything coming in or anything coming out. What led you to build this this studio? Madness, I think. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of madness. Well, no, seriously, I think I, I've always wanted to have a proper studio that it was, you know, a soundproof with good acoustics. And like a lot of people over the years, I've had various different bedroom studios and um, and recorded with other people in various different bedroom studios as well as of course mainstream studios but it was a dream of mine to do that and I was in a financial position to do it in 2019 so I took quite a long time really researching how to do that a whole year in fact of just looking at what I need to build it, you know, what are the materials, the sort of specifications of what you need to do to build a room within a room, and also the dimensions. What are good dimensions uh, in terms of ceiling height, the width, the length of the room? So all this took a while, not just to, to research, but to digest and understand it, because it, it's quite complicated as well, mm-hmm. if you've not done this before. And I lent on a lot of people, really. A friend of mine works for Magico, and so he knows a lot about of acoustics. And we had many a conversation about how I should do this and what I should do internally around the acoustics and the absorption and the bass traps, the acoustic panels, everything. So it was a, a really long 12 months learning. And then when we started the build, it was probably the most exciting day of my life, just putting the, um, the pad down, you know, concrete pouring in. <laughs> So uh, that was an incredible day. And yeah, six months later, we had the shell and then another two or three months sort of finishing the inside. It's, uh, it's quite a process. Having talked to a lot of people about studio building over the years, independent of this podcast and on this podcast, one of the things that I've heard a lot from people is it's a trick to find a contractor or builders who have experience building studios. Because if you take the average home builder, they'll look at the plans and go, what's this? This is unusual. I've never done that before. And Mm. it's a possible hindrance in the process because it it can screw the whole thing up if if not done properly. Exactly. So what was your experience? Well, that's an interesting question because it was quite complicated. I did go down the route of speaking to people that had done this before and built exactly this kind of thing but the quotes that I was getting from them was just completely out of my budget sort of 100 grand 120 for a room this size and so I I thought okay I'm gonna have to do this myself not completely I knew some builders although they hadn't built something like this before they took the time to learn to go on the forums to ask questions themselves 
And then I gave them a lot of the information that I'd already had. So I knew what the dimensions were going to be. I knew what materials I needed. I knew that there are various things that I didn't want them to do. And so I guess it's really a process of communicating very clearly, having a plan. And they learnt how to build a room within a room that's soundproofed. They didn't do the internal acoustics, but they built me a fantastic room. And I was able to build the size and get the height in the ceiling because we did the build ourselves rather than going to professionals that would have built me a room but would have been not as good as this, but more expensive. Wow, that's interesting. And in retrospect, now that you've been in there a little while, is there anything you're disappointed with that didn't come out as expected? Not really, no. Apart from the fact that they didn't put the um, Wi-Fi in (laughs) when they were bringing the electrics in. So that was a post thing that we've had to do recently. No, I think I'm happy with the room. I'm happy with the sound. I'm happy with the acoustics. I've tested it out with various different people. So a guy I know called Tim Weller, he's a drummer and he's He's played on a number of well-known artists, singles and albums. And he came in here and he made me really smile because he said, I don't know what you're doing in here, but the drum sound is fantastic. He has his own studio, which he built. He came here to do, well, he's done three sessions in here now. So I think it's kind of a testament that there is something happening in here that sounds good. And I think that the drum sound in particular in here is pretty good. And, you know, you're learning as you go along the sound of the room. It's not something that is is obvious straight away because different acts are coming in, um, bringing in different instrumentations, different styles. And so you have to think about it differently. And then again, you're learning about the sound of the room every time you have a different style come in Mm. because you're recording different instruments. You hear how it sounds in the room. So it's kind of an evolving thing. But I'm pretty happy with what I've got, I have to say. Did you build it as one whole room or is there a separate control room and live room? I know some people would say, why on earth did you do that? But I did it as one room. And the reason being is that I couldn't afford to build two rooms. I kind of figured that if I wanted to get the best out of the opportunity of recording people, then Mm -hmm. I would need a bigger size room with a higher ceiling. And to make two small rooms, it just, just wouldn't be viable, I don't think. I like the idea of being, you know, personally involved and talking to people and being in the room and chatting to them and, you know, having that relationship rather than being behind some glass. It means it's it's harder. You have to mm-hmm. think about things in a different way in terms of how you approach a recording. For instance, doing guides on vocals and, and different mm-hmm. instruments before the rest of the band. For instance, the drummer and the bass player play. We might DI the bass and then reamp it or, you know, there's things that you have to do and think about when you're in one room together. Yeah, I can't say it's uncommon to do that. And my first exposure to that was with former WCA guest Craig Schumacher many, many years ago. When I first met Craig through the Tape Op Conference, I ended up paying him a visit in Tucson, staying at his house and spending days with him at his studio. And Craig has done work with Nico Case and Devochka and Calexico. And in digging into his discography, it's pretty mind-blowing that he's done all those recordings in that type of environment. So mm. for those out there that think, oh, well, why did you do that? That's insane. Well, it's not <laughs> insane. It's, it's actually no. not uncommon. And it, and it changes the dynamic, I think you'd agree, because you don't have to be worrying about the talkback button and there's live communication happening. Mm, no, exactly. Uh, I mean, it's early days here in the studio, but the sessions that I've had so far seem to have been smoother and the communication was easy. You know, we're all setting up. We're having a bit of fun as well. There's not that distance between you. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it, I think that's key in getting the best out of people as well. Yeah, and and it really changes what is the focus. You can Mm -hmm. possibly, some people might move a little quicker because they just put the mics in the spots that they just go to instinctively. Whereas, you know, you you could do that in a studio with two separate rooms, but then you start saying, okay, let's let's hear the rack tom. Then you start really zeroing in on the rack tom rather than the bigger picture and the vibe of the whole thing. So I'm a fan of it, and I've had just a minor amount of exposure to it in the past. And in smaller cases, just here in this room, just doing voiceovers with people sitting right next to you, both on headphones. The communication is rapid 
I find it more conducive to a positive session, honestly. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> I think that a lot more people are doing it now, and I've got friends that record in exactly the same way. So if bands or artists are coming to you there, are you so remote that they end up staying there on the farm? They could do. Mm. I've had a couple of people I know, Russ, who I've worked with for many, many years, bass player, a guy called Russell Milton. And yeah, when, when he ever does a session, he comes and stays the night. And we do have the capacity to have a few people stay, mm. which is quite handy. So in the future, have you thought about building a separate bunk building of sorts so people can stay? Well, funnily enough, <laughs> we're, we're doing um, a few things on the farm. One of them is around glamping, but we've got some areas where we can probably potentially build something. We've got lots of ideas. I think if we had all the money, there wouldn't be a, a second in the day because we would be on project after project. But alas, we don't. So we're starting a glamping business. I guess potentially people could stay in some glamping tents. I'm not quite sure how cool that would be, but <laughs> it's a possibility. You could fill the farm up with some Airstream trailers or something where you know, uh, everybody gets a trailer. Yeah, we do have a caravan. I suppose it's a similar thing to an Airstream trailer. Okay. Which is right next to our horse box. We've got a little converted horse box, which is a cafe. And we use it when we do our events to raise money for our dog foundation, our rescue. There's a few things going on on that farm. There's a lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, it's an early rise. And um, usually we're, we're kind of knackered by about 10 o'clock at night. We're ready for bed. We're tired. So you and I had a conversation the other day leading up to our interview today. And we were talking about some of the similarities between you and former WCA guest Sarah Carter. Can you tell me a bit about that? Well, yeah. I started in music early. I played the drums. I picked up playing the drums when I was 13 and kind of progressed on to playing guitar about 16. Played in a few bands on drums and then started writing via guitar, using that as my main instrument. And I was actually in music, as well as having part-time jobs to pay the bills and keep the walls from the door. But I probably did music full-time until I was about 37. So it was 37 that took me out of music for various different reasons. And I went into the corporate world for 13 years. Then in 2019, when I left my corporate job, I said, right, okay, music's been on the back burner a bit. I had worked and written and co-written and produced stuff for people, you know, on the sidelines. But I kind of wanted to get back into music. It was time for me to do that. So 2019, corporate job left where I was working in the city. And that's when the planning started for this. I guess really the reality is my journey has been a very different one to most. Probably similar in the way that Sarah got into to audio later, came out of it again and then went back in. So similarly, I started, came out and have gone back in. You know, my early years were very much music orientated. I mean, I did my first, one of my first demos at Stuart Copeland's studio. He was living at Bledlow Ridge in West Wickham. I was writing with a guy called Daryl Way. I think he heard my first demo in 85. So maybe I was 17. Um, oh my God, you know how old I am. <laughs> so... He listened to some stuff and he really liked it. And then I ended up working with him on a bunch of demos, which involved going to Stuart's studio and recording in there, which was an incredible experience, as you can imagine, for a young kind of musician. I mean, he was in the police at the time, I think, or just coming to the end of his time in the police. That's interesting. So your early time in music you started as a musician. Did you start mm -hmm. to make transitions into the engineering side before you went into the corporate world? Yeah. I kind of figured quite early on that if I didn't learn this stuff, I was going to be beholden to a whole bunch of men in studios because generally mm -hmm. it was a whole bunch yeah. of guys in studios, you know, engineers, producers, and there weren't that many women or there certainly wasn't back in the 80s and, and the kind of early 90s. So I think I started on an Atari a 1040, had various four tracks. You know, my first four track I think I had was a Tascam. Then I had a Yamaha four track. And then, 
you know, how do I record on a four track? How do I get the most out of this? You know, and you're having to bounce stuff. <laughs> so you're, you're kind of squashing the audio to get more out of it. And then it progressed to eight tracks, ADATs, and then to sort of four systems, which I have now. So audio and I suppose the technical side of it, you know, I learned all that very early on so that I could get my ideas and demos down. And it just progressed over time from four tracks to eight tracks. Um, now I've got two Apollos. And working with different doors, I think originally I started on Cubase and then I went on to Logic. Now I dabble a little bit with Lunar and Pro Tools, but the majority of my time is spent in Logic. And it just meant that I could be creative in my own right. I didn't have to go to a studio and pay 200, 400 pounds, whatever it might be, to record songs. Obviously, after a while, you want to get that band feel. You have to go into a studio and do that. Mm -hmm. And that's what probably led me to where I am now, which is, I can do that in my own entirety. I can record the drums, the bass, the guitars, and record the whole thing. You can't do that in a bedroom. So what made you decide to go into the corporate world? Mm, money. <laughs> oh, yeah, that. Um, yeah, I, I essentially, I say money, it wasn't money. It was, I just had to get a job. It, it got to a point where it was harder and harder to to make money in the music world. For a while, I, I had done a few adverts. I did a Hollywood B movie. I got some tracks on that. And I did voiceover stuff. But it just got harder and harder. And in, I think it was about 2005, I jumped into the corporate world at the end of that year. And my first job was so badly paid. It was quite soul crushing in a way because I had mm -hmm. to do it. But it was a lot of hard work and very little money. But it led on to greater things. And I took these steps and I was determined to try and catch up with my peers you know, friends of mine that, that had always worked in the corporate world or had, um, you know, regular jobs. So, yeah, it led me through to different organisations. And then I ended up in my last job working for one of the big four audit firms and recruiting partners and directors into that organisation. And I was there about six years. And then I think after a while, you kind of re-evaluate yourself in anything in life but in, in particular for me in 2019 because I had a few health issues mm -hmm. which led me to rethink what I really wanted to do so I hopped back out again. What general industry were you in? I had been in banking, mm. I have been in insurance, the last job that I was in that was uh, one of the big four so you've got Deloitte, KPMG, PwC etc so I worked for one of those organizations you know, when you're operating at quite high level, there's a lot of stress that comes with that. And towards the end, I found it quite difficult because mm -hmm. I kind of felt that I wasn't always being myself because you kind of put on this uniform, you're wearing this suit and you're going to work with all these people and it's quite serious and the fun was taken out of it. And I think that that culminated in me not being very well at one point and finding out that I had a hole in my heart and basically I had a mini stroke and the blood went from one side of the heart to the other side of the heart and into my brain and I lost my vision and I was having all these weird experiences. So that was the kind of catalyst. That was the thing that said, right, I'm coming out of the, the corporate world. But I got a lot from it. You know, I have to say I did get a lot from it. I met some really fantastic people, really interesting, very clever people and some really fun people. It was a great experience, and I think that in anything that you do in life, it, it gives you another story to tell, stuff to talk about, stuff to sing about, stuff to talk to people and relate to them about, you know? So um, yeah. I don't regret it. I loved it. It paid my bills. It paid for, partly paid for the studio, so... Yeah. Yeah. What's interesting here is just to compare and contrast to two different countries. So your story in the United States probably would be slightly different because with health issues, you would be beholden to the job because you'd say, well, I can't mm. quit my job. I'm going to lose my health insurance. But yeah, being in the UK, you've got NHS, correct? That's right. We do. Yeah. We're very lucky. So that, that wasn't a factor in your decision-making. No. I suppose in the end, we talked about, do I want to close the hole so I don't have any more clots? It wouldn't have been costly if I'd been in the US. That would have been a really costly operation, I imagine, and would have cost thousands. But the, the organization would have paid for it. 
towards the end of me making that decision, I still had six months of medical insurance if I needed it. So mm. I wouldn't have been, you know, left in the lurch if something serious had happened after that. I was quite lucky. But it did mean that I had to make a choice. Is the stress of this job worth me pushing it? And it wasn't. You had talked about in our previous conversations about the corporate world is almost kind of having to suppress who you really were as a musician, as an audio engineer, as a person, as a creative. Yeah, I think you do. You kind of wear a different hat. You know, a lot of organizations talk about bringing yourself to work, but I think that in some respects, you only bring part of yourself to work. I mean, of course, they were they loved the fact that I told them about various different people I'd met and people I'd worked with, and they loved all that. But you still have to go in with this incredibly professional attitude, and you're talking to, you know, top people in that organization, and you're recruiting people into that organization. So you have to have a pretty professional outlook. I guess I probably couldn't bring the entirety of who I was to the conversation. Yeah, it's an interesting topic if you get onto that with people, but I felt a bit stifled, I think, in that environment. I mean, I enjoyed it, don't get me wrong, but I wasn't always being myself. And I know that, just know it. That's difficult. As you say, it can be soul crushing. It can be. It can be. And I think that once I'd had that medical issue, I thought, okay, time to have some reality here. And it brought up times where I'd be thinking about my job and thinking, am I actually really enjoying this? And it was, I think I mentioned it to you, it was like a low-grade depression. Yeah, that, that was the term you used. Yeah, it's like this every day you're going along and going through the motions and getting through the day and doing good work and, and meeting great people, but you're not doing what you set out to do and you're not doing what you love. But it's the reality of life. You just have to do what you need to do. Well, let's talk about the positive of that. What are the good things that came out of that, aside from, you know, the financial benefits? Were there things that you learned about anything, whether it's people and, and relationships or business, that you find applicable to what you're doing today in any way, shape, or form? Yeah, I think so, because I was thrown out of my comfort zone on many occasions and sometimes thought, I can't do this. I literally can't do this. And you have to learn a lot because you do get thrown into situations in, in, in a corporate world where you may not have done something before and you have to just deal with it. So you learn to think on your feet. You learn to do a lot of research. You learn to go into a meeting knowing what you're going to talk about. And certainly when you go into an interview with someone, you know, you've, you've got to know about them. You've got to know what they've done before and, and maybe even talk to people that know them. And so you, you get to learn a hell of a lot about people. So you get to understand people, be able to talk to people from all different walks of life. It just stretches you in many different ways. So I think thinking on my feet and being thrown into uncomfortable situations was probably, <laughs> which, which was a major, I think. Yeah, definitely. Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off, and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app and I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it, because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Samply, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself. 
but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Samply.app or Samply.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Samply.app and use that code WCA20, and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Sampley.app. Check it out. Now that you're out of that world and you don't have that paycheck, what is your approach now and your philosophy when it comes to finances? Do you have methods or ideas or, or strategies in, in how you stay afloat and survive? Yeah, I work part-time in my wife's business. So on the farm, we have a dog boarding and dog behavior facility. Jo, my wife, she's a dog behaviorist. So I mm. I run the business side of that. I don't do it on a full-time basis. I don't need to do it on a full-time basis because we've also got someone in the office. But I work about 18, 20 hours officially <laughs> in the business. And then the rest of the time, I'm working with people in the studio. It is a new studio. So over the last four months, I think we've had about seven or eight sessions, which have been great. COVID hasn't helped, of course. <laughs> it's been a real hindrance. But I've taken a massive pay cut, without a doubt. But I love my life. I get up in the morning and I go and feed some pygmy goats and some chickens and a donkey and a horse. And I look around me and like this morning, it was cold. It was really chilly, but it was a beautiful, clear day. And there I was just kind of chatting to the pygmy goats. <laughs> We've got four, Dixie, Daisy, Dottie, Delilah, and then one male jog. And it's just a beautiful experience. You're out in nature. You don't have to get on a tube or a train and then on the underground. And it's just wonderful. So there's all these incredible positives being here and not earning that much money. So, you know, I, I'm enjoying it. I'd rather be doing what I love, not earning as much money and having the experiences that I'm having. And also with, with what we do, we've, we have a rescue as well, a dog rescue. So I'm on the committee for that. So we raise money to bring dogs over and rehome them. And all those things are kind of rewarding, you know. It's a great life. I have a great life. I'm very privileged. And do you also diversify in the studio? Do you do other kind of audio work other than working with, with artists or bands? I haven't started doing an awful lot, but podcasts are on the, on the cards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I used to do a lot of voiceover work many, many moons ago. So that's another potential. But I think the other things that I want to do are, obviously getting good broadband in here was important and vital for, was to do live recordings. So doing some filming and having bands in here and, and just streaming it. So that's another thing that I want to get into doing. Probably about four or five months away from getting that off the ground though. Essentially that health scare really shifted your mindset. Very much so. I'm sure. How'd you take stock of, you know, what is really important and making a crap ton of money at a corporate job isn't always what it's cracked up to be, I'm sure. And mm. the scene you've described with feeding the animals, taking care of the dogs, working in the studio and being, you know, with the person that's most important to you, I think that that's valuable. It's incredibly valuable. I'm lucky that I have that. And, and I guess being afforded that lifestyle. You know, we don't have much money, but we have a great space. So during COVID, while a lot of people were stuck in homes, we kind of had somewhere to wander. Mm -hmm. We still had to feed the animals. We still had to walk the dogs, the rescue dogs. At one point, you know, we had 20 dogs plus all the animals every day. And it was a challenge, but we reminded ourselves what a great life we had to be outside to be able to walk around and have all this space so it affords us a great opportunity to think about you know projects and things that we want to do but bringing back to your point I think that if people had more opportunity to do this kind of thing they would I think COVID is probably if anything made people re-evaluate <laughs> you know you never know what's going to happen in life and People are now thinking about, do I really enjoy this? Is this my passion? Is this what I yeah. want to do for the rest of my life? Yeah. What am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what am I doing? I'm doing what I want to do. The health scare. There was another one, actually, which I'll come on to in a minute. It's like, oh, my God, this girl's a calamity. 
While I was building the studio, I fell off a ladder and ended up in hospital. Literally after we were finishing it, putting the bass traps in, was putting a spacer in just to make sure that it went to the ceiling, from floor to ceiling. And I fell off the ladder and broke my leg in two places and fractured my foot in a soundproof room all on my own. Oh, nobody can hear you scream. (laughs) No. And my phone was the other side. It was right near the door. That was an experience and a half. I'll never forget that day, I can assure you. So, yeah, I spent 10 days in hospital and then came out. um, That was last November. So between November last year and probably May, June time this year, I was getting myself back to, to fitness and being able to walk and got off crutches, I think, probably July. Um, was on one crutch, I think, by July, and then got off them. I was actually, we were putting the gear in, and I was on crutches. I had a friend helping me put the gear into the studio while I was still on crutches. <laughs> it was an experience, that's for sure. So I know about a, a little bit about health issues. <laughs> you know, I get incredibly frustrated when I cannot function at full capacity. Mm. The listeners can't see this, but you know, I'm shifting in my chair a bunch because I got ambitious putting together an IKEA desk last night for my son and uh, really tweaked my back. So I've got a uh, a low grade constant pain in my back right now, which is awful. Mm, but that good. that feeling of you know that you can't actually get something done. Yeah, it's frustrating, definitely. Back to the the money talk for a second and where you're at now. Tell me if this is is true for you. When you don't have that constant check coming in, do you find that it spurs on creativity about like, not only how do we be frugal, but are there some other ways that we can make money to bring Mm. money in, in a creative fashion with the things that we have around us? Absolutely. One of the things that we're thinking about is potentially doing sort of small events, music events. We've got this space at the top of the farm. It's just a lovely area. And luckily, there's not really any houses around it because it's all open um, land. So I've been talking to different people to help support that maybe happen. Here in the UK, you can put events on and kind of get small events up to 500 people and you can easily quite get a license for that. So to begin with, maybe just putting on small local bands and um, starting a little scene here, which... uh, at Birching Inhams would be quite fun. So that's that's another another possibility down the road. Doing a little acoustic events as well. We've got a horse box cafe and in the summer potentially just putting on acoustic acts and people come in, have a coffee and a drink and bring your own booze because we, w- we won't have a license for that. And just trying to diversify. Also mm-hmm. connect with people and artists, local artists and um, support that support them and collaborations I think I'm really keen to collaborate with people so that's another thing I'm looking at you know how can I do that what are the sorts of things that I can get into to do that it doesn't always yeah. have to be the big things you know it can be small things just supporting an act giving them some free studio time in my opinion you've made some great decisions building that studio I think was a super smart decision based on where you come from in your history and kudos to you for stepping away from the corporate world to really focus on what it is you enjoy and spending time with those you enjoy. It sounds like a great spot you're in. I'm I'm envious. I would love a big plot of land with a bunch of buildings on it to do what I want to do. Yeah. I mean, as I say, we are, we're incredibly lucky to have what we have. I guess it's when you're afforded that opportunity, it's about trying to make the most of it and not just let it dwindle away. So When I started this place, I've helped out a few local bands and given them some free time. COVID hit, no one's got any money. And, you know, people are really struggling. Artists are really struggling to kind of find their feet again. It's been a really challenging time. So I've given a few artists that I know and have met through others some free sessions. And uh, it's been great because it's helped me to tweak the studio as well, the sound, get to kind of know the room and, um, you know, what things sound like in here. So good. When it came to the gear choices, mm. how did you make your decisions about what you were going to outfit the studio with? Because all the decision making that goes into building a proper room is one thing, but outfitting it with gear is that's a bit of a challenge. So, what did you do? It is. Oh, it's a minefield and you know, when you go on these forums and ask people's opinions, everyone's got a different opinion. 
So I don't immerse myself too much in that because you can come out of it being more confused. I guess talking to people I know and respect. Also, I didn't have a huge amount of money. You know, this isn't a a massive commercial studio. It's a small recording room. So it was important for me to have really good stuff, but be affordable. So I went, I've got two Apollos. So Universal Audio, I love their stuff. The two Apollos that I've got give me 16 audio ins. And obviously I could use an ADAT as well. But the sound's great. The mic pre's are great. But I've also got some more audio gear, Neve, mic pre's, Focusrite, Session Pack. So I've got, you know, a mixture of sounds to go in to get the audio in. So it's not just all... Apollo, Unison preamps. I guess it's important to to spend your money well, but do your research to make sure that what you need is going to really support the process. So I don't have an awful lot of outboard gear. I've got a compressor, a warm audio compressor. I've got um, I've got a Dangerous D box for summing, and then a whole bunch of mic pre's. And and that essentially is kind of the the recording gear that I've got. The rest of it's in the box. Yeah, we're in a great time because 20 years ago, you couldn't do it the same way. No. I love the fact that we can now buy interfaces that contain all the mic pre's we need, have mic pre modeling, mm-hmm. have modeling of all the outboard gear that we typically would have. So, you know, I think if I were to do it all over again, I would do it very different. If I were to run a studio to the outside world, I'd do it very different and I'd probably base it around a similar situation just out of cost factor because yeah, it's still costly. Those interfaces aren't exactly, you know, dirt cheap or anything, but no, what you get bang for the buck, I think it just makes so much sense these days. It does, absolutely. And, you know, there's no point in having a, a recording studio if you've not got, I guess, a, a decent way of getting your audio into your computer. <laughs> it's the most important. It's the kind of engine of the studio for me. Obviously, Having half-decent mics as well, having some good mics is important. Being know how to use them, placement, all those things are really important. Having this space is helping me, I guess, as a producer and an engineer to really hone my skills. There's so Mm -hmm. much to always learn. There's so many different techniques. I've been listening to a lot of Sylvia Massey because, I mean, the woman's a genius. I love her. She's fantastic. And... For me in particular, her, because she puts so much stuff out there, it's just wonderful to watch. And she's so interesting and unique in the way she does things. Also, if you don't have too much gear, you have to think about how can I make something a bit more creative and a bit more interesting? And there's ways and means of doing that. So, um, And she's a fantastic person to listen to who continually does that. Although she's got yeah. an amazing studio. <laughs> well, and when you have a setup like that using Apollos or the Avid Carbon, for example, it takes your mind off of all the extraneous stuff and the cabling that goes with that. I look at it from a remote perspective. If I can take as little as possible and have make the most impact, that's always what I focus on. So, mm, Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting, too, that you focus on Sylvia. Sylvia put out a video many years ago that included Sarah Carter. And I emailed Sylvia immediately. I was like, hey, Sylvia, can you introduce me to Sarah? I'd love to interview her. And it was Sarah that brought you to me. So <laughs> it's one of those sync, I don't know. It's like, is it full circle? <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it hasn't come full circle just yet, I guess. But it's, it's definitely... Um, one person leading to the next, and, yeah. and that's, uh, I guess that that would be a network, so. Yeah, it would. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? I think you, you used to play in bands as well yourself, didn't you, before you yeah. got into to engineering and producing. And I think a lot of people do. I think they take that journey, and like Sarah, she played guitar. I think she played in bands as well and worked with some family members who were also musicians and stuff and started producing their stuff, and that kind of got her into the whole producing and engineering and mixing Mm -hmm. and mastering. And my journey was purely because I needed to, because I wanted to have a certain amount of control as an artist and be able to know what I was doing. And I guess, you know, to be credible as well in terms of, you know, being a writer, a singer-songwriter, and to be able to have the conversations with people about music and about instrumentation, about what you were using and the gear that you're using, etc. So it was kind of important to me to do that. 
it's taken me on a quite a winding road <laughs> to this place yeah. now. Well, it's a fun journey for sure. Yeah, it's been it's been great fun. I mean, this now is kind of afforded me the the chance to, you know, work with up and coming artists. I've had some local bands come in, Final Clause of Tacitus. They've been in to do some tracking for a collaboration that they're doing with a band called Hacktivist. And a new artist that I'm working with, Keen Harris. I mean, he's a really interesting, really interesting guy. And and funnily enough, he picked up guitar because he broke his arm. And the doctors told him that playing guitar would be really good. And he started playing guitar and then he started writing songs. And, and you know, the guy's really interesting. So I'm I'm recording a kind of EP with him at the moment. So yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to what's going to be coming through that door next. Well, this year it's not next year, is it? It's this year. So I'm looking yeah. forward to what's coming through the door this year and different artists, bands collaborating. Are you maintaining a website at all? I do. Yeah, it's creationx.co.uk. Okay. The name comes from two things. I'm Generation X. As am I. Yeah. Creation DNA. I found this incredible symbol and it was like a DNA symbol. And then I looked and I thought, oh, creation, DNA, music. So it was kind of quite an obvious thing for me. So Creation X, yeah. Well, I'll put a link in the show notes to that. And um, it's been really great talking with you. And I, I got to thank Sarah once again for uh, and you, Matt. making the connection. So audience, check out creationx.co.uk. I get, did I get that right? So, yeah, the studio is creationxrecording.co.uk. Creationxrecording.co.uk. Okay, that'll be in the show notes, audience, so be sure to check that out. Fantastic. Well, Nikki, enjoy your time there on the farm, and thank you again. I appreciate your time. You're very welcome. It was lovely talking to you, Matt. All right, take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Our friends over at Cali Audio have just introduced the brand new LP UNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for, giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right, pretty affordable. Head on over to caliaudio.com and check out the new LP UNF. Nikki McGinnis here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks so much for being here with me today. Just a reminder to you, if you have a guest suggestion, you don't actually do it through the contact form, but rather go to the guest suggestion form. All of this is located at workingclassaudio.com. Head on over there, make your suggestion. I will certainly have a look over it and research the person that you are suggesting. But that's all for me today. I want to thank the crew. That includes Anne-Marie Plo on the editing, Cliff Truesdale on the Working Class Audio theme song, and Mr. Chuck Smith, naturally. Love you, Chuck. Connect with me on LinkedIn. And until next time, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware... Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio... This is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out.